Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Julie Ansis, Professor and Director of Cyber Psychology at NJIT, and Amy Hoke, Associate Director of the Wellness Center at Rowan University. Julie, I'm going to start with you. Um, tell, us, um, tell us about your background. Sure. Well, Jim, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here with you, and it's a pleasure to be here with you, Amy, as well. Um, my background, I am the inaugural director of the Cyber Psychology Program, brand new program uh, at the New Jersey Institute of Technology uh, at Newark. And so that's very exciting. This, this field is emerging, and the focus is on the intersections of of technology and human beings, human behavior. Uh, prior to my position at NJIT, I was the Associate Vice President of Diversity at the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta. Prior to that, I was a full professor at uh, Georgia State University in Atlanta as well. Uh, a lot of my research has focused on climate issues, academic climate, uh, climate as relates to clinical settings, uh, patient counselor, patient psychologist relationship, as well as the legal arena. And so for the past couple of years, or a little bit more than the past couple of years, I've been focused on this relationship between technology and human behavior. Great. Thank you, Julie. And Amy, go ahead. Hi, uh, yes, thank you for having me also. Um, my name is Amy Hoke. I am the Associate Director of the Wellness Center at Rowan University here in Glassboro. Um, I've been here for about 10 years. I'm a psychologist by training and um, my area of interest and expertise is in trauma, uh, in particular sexual violence. I'm the co-chair of the Sexual Violence Prevention Committee on campus. And I was um, past um, coalition chair for the American College Health Association um, Safety and Violence Coalition. And um, I oversee counseling and psychological services here, um, as well as um, our crisis services. So thank you for having me. Great. Thanks for being here. So there's so much to talk about. So, but let's start with, you know, um, loneliness in general, right? And then we can sort of talk about the related mental health issues uh, that are affecting all of us. So I'll, let's, I'm gonna go back to Julie, go ahead. Uh, why don't you kick us off here? Okay, well, this is such an important topic. I am I'm so glad you're focused on this topic. Um, we have a crisis around loneliness uh, in our country, um, but not exclusively in our country. So there have been a number of large-scale studies. Uh, the BBC conducted a study. Harvard recently completed a study. The American Psychological Association just completed a study on stress in America that shows that loneliness is a real problem. We have about a third of the population who are saying that they're lonely much of the time. Uh, and this is only increased with the pandemic. Uh, and we see particular populations such as Gen Z having a really hard time around issues of loneliness. And I should also uh, help define 
loneliness. Loneliness is oftentimes defined as the gap or the perce- perceived gap between one between one's actual relationships and one's desired relationships. Uh, many of these studies look at loneliness um, not necessarily as being alone, from but from the perspective of feeling disconnected, feeling left out feeling not in tune with others. And as I said, many, many people are experiencing this. Thank you, Julie. Okay, Amy, from your perspective? Yeah, I would, I would uh, echo what Julie said and add that, um, you know, Vivek Murthy, our, our 19th um, Surgeon General, um, addressed this as a public health issue. Um, after his tenure, and he wrote a book called Together, just about this very issue, kind of speaking to this as long before the pandemic came along, that he is seeing this as um, really often a core issue with regard to uh, many, many other health problems that show up for people. And he breaks it down, uh, loneliness, into three parts. Um, One kind of loneliness is certainly what we think of in terms of emotional loneliness. You know, we're hungering for a deep kind of meaningful personal relationship with with one person. And then we also have social loneliness. You know, we want quality friendships in our lives, and that's important. And the third kind of loneliness is, you know, really about community, wanting and affirming community that helps give us a sense of purpose and meaning. And you think about all three of those kinds of loneliness, they've all been affected by the pandemic. And they've also all been part of, I think, what we've seen over the last 10 years, really, um, with regard to a rise in mental health issues overall. Um, I work at a college counseling center. So for, for students, we see that in terms of rising depression, um, anxiety, suicide rates. Um, and I would also add, as Julie mentioned, this is a global phenomenon. So I think the other piece is that she mentioned, right, expectations. Well, this has a lot to do with culture as well, because, you know, our culture and traditions shape our expectations. So when our cultural expectations, um, you know, uh, kind of interfere with um, or are not the same as actually what happens in in kind of our day-to-day life, that matters a lot. So for example, if culturally, you know, you're kind of, it would be the norm to be married by a certain age, but you're single, right? You might feel lonelier, you know, or more stressed because of that versus somebody else where that cultural expectation isn't, you know, a part, a part of what's happening. So I, I, I want us to kind of think about that, that piece around culture too, and how that can impact this loneliness. Sure. So thank you for that. So you mentioned the pandemic and we know this has affected all different generations, right? So let's break this down a little bit. How, from your perspectives, how has it affected each of those generations, you know, that we see? Uh, I know you're at a college, you're both at college campuses, so you see young people in general, but maybe give us sort of a framework and, uh, you know, some things that you're worried about, you know, going, you know, you've been worried about and worried about going forward. Um, well, I am not seeing students in a clinical sense, uh, but I am teaching students and we have a lot of these conversations in my class uh, this semester and the class is Foundations of Cyber Psychology. So I'm very interested in getting their perspective. They're the Gen Z, for the most part, generation 
they're the ones engaging in technology. They're having their own unique experiences um, that many folks who are not part of that generation, including me, uh, obviously, <laughs> um, can't necessarily relate to. Uh, so this is a generation that grew up with incredible uncertainty. And they talk about that uncertainty in terms of what is my future going to look like? Am I gonna have a job? Now, especially with the pandemic, when this is all said and done, uh, they've been exposed to tragedies, which they see online uh, in epic proportions, the school shootings, um, sexual harassment, rape, climate change. And they're just dealing with a lot in addition to just being an 18, 19, 20 year old um, struggle. So the struggles of this particular age group, the particular context of this particular age group in terms of the uncertainty, um, the overexposure to social media that's been negative, and the pandemic have just piled on top of each other to create this feeling of really not being cared for and being very disconnected oftentimes from society and from other human beings. Right. Amy, I'm sure you see that as well. And I guess, you know, as you say that, Julie, I think of, you know, they've gone through their great recession, right? Sort of, uh, you know, some of their parents, a lot of their parents probably lost their jobs then, a lot of uncertainty uh, and everything in between then and now. It's, it's, you're right. It just seems, you know, super, super uh, difficult. Of course, they're more resilient. So Amy, take it from there. Well, I, I think that that uncertainty can certainly breed more anxiety and depression um, and I think you can have loneliness, but with this pandemic, we've also had isolation, right? Physical and social. Um, we sometimes talk about social distancing as, as it being physical distancing, but it's, they're really two separate things. And we can still be social, right? Virtually, just like we're doing right now. Um, but that physical distance actually matters a, a lot. You know, physical touch, um, having actual, you know, real time facial interaction with people and even just a felt sense of someone in your environment um, has a huge impact on, you know, you're feeling good. So I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go to the other side, you know, social connection is actually the best predictor of well-being across all age spans. So for our college students, um, you know, again, going back to expectations, the idea is, you know, for those who were in high school, you know, last year and about to graduate, they didn't get a prom or a graduation or the, the, the things that are expected as rituals that help us kind of move through our life. And then our college freshmen this year have really struggled um, with a lot of different aspects of not having a community and not being able to, you know, walk out of your dorm and meet with a group in person and, and talk and chat. Um, and the virtual learning is really, really difficult for many of our students, you know, who have learning challenges, but also who just, you know, are having trouble staying engaged because they're more depressed. Um, you have our elderly population. You know, my aunt is in a nursing home and had to be in a nursing home through this whole um, year. The isolation due to the, the need to, you know, create safety for them physically has, has created more dementia for people, you know, miss more disorientation, more depression, more anxiety. And all of that actually takes years off of a person's lifespan, that disconnection, loneliness, and isolation. 
and has far-reaching health problems, you know, long beyond this time it, when the actual pandemic is happening. Um, you know, things like coronary heart disease, things like autoimmune issues, things like obesity. So we will see the after effects of this, I think, for a long time to come. In fact, can you comment on those other generations, what you're seeing? I know that may not be your focus area, but what are you seeing in those other, how are those generations being affected differently? Well, I think if you think about, you know, people who are, um, you know, kind of working um, about to have, you know, children or thinking about having children, you think about kind of work-life balance and how that's been hugely impacted by almost everyone having to work from home. If they have children, teach their children from home, manage that balance in terms of, you know, responsibilities um, in a home space that may have already been crowded. Um, for lots of different reasons. Um, and then the lack of social support that they may have been able to have before because of extended family living nearby or, you know, friends who might help out sometimes, you know, people are really having to take on more and more alone, um, you know, th and, and their happiness with work, you know, may certainly have changed as well because we know productivity, you know, and connection with people, you know, those things go hand in hand. So um, the, the kind of generation that is kind of in the midst of working and, and having children is, is definitely affected in different ways. Um, you know, and then you, certainly, I think we sometimes think that the, the younger people are, the little kids who are, you know, um, kind of not so much aware of what's going on. Certainly they may not be so aware. They may be able to, you know, on the surface, seem more flexible and kind of manage things. But what we also know about any kind of trauma or traumatic loss, and, and I would say that this is that happening for all of us on a global scale, that just, um, you know, being in a situation where everyone around you is more stressed than usual elevates our own cortisol levels, our own stress hormones, so that everybody's kind of sitting in this marinade of, you know, extra stress and loss. And that on a physiological level is really, you know, what I mentioned in terms of creating these other potential health and mental health problems over the long run. So, um, you know, I also see that with the isolation, you know, has come this sense of uh, added fear to getting back to normal. You know, we've had this experience now for almost a year of avoiding people, you know, of almost if even if someone says hello to you, think about your reaction to it now versus how it was before, um, about getting close to people. That has an impact on us on a physiolo physiological level also. We feel shame from that, there's an actual shame response that happens in our bodies that is difficult to get over. So I also see work, workmates, college students, my aunt, as I mentioned before, now being afraid to come out of a situation where we can now connect more because they're fearful that's been kind of reinforced over time. And I think that will have its own impact. Interesting, Julie. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Amy said, and she she said a lot of very important things. Um, that, and I particularly agree with the fact that we're going to see the effects of the trauma of this pandemic, the psychological trauma, the economic trauma, the spiritual trauma, um, the health trauma. We've had so many people who've been very sick. We've had 
people in hospitals um, who've died in hospitals, unable to make physical contact with their loved ones, loved ones on Zoom uh, with a nurse holding up a computer um, saying goodbye to their father, to their mother, to their aunts. Um, this is really devastating. And you also think about, as Amy said, you know, going back into society um, and now connecting with humans. And a, a lot of people are making jokes about that. You know, they went outside for the first time. They had a, an engagement with somebody in, in interpersonal engagements. Um, and they kept talking and talking and talking <laughs> because they didn't know how to navigate or they forgot how to navigate. Or they were so excited about seeing and talking at length to another human being. Um, what's also interesting to think about, and not much has been written about this, is what about the introverts, the people who have social anxieties? Um, in some respects, you could say that this disconnection, this physical disconnection has been comforting for those people. It's been like a relief you know, I don't have to go out. I have to talk to anybody. Um, I could say something's wrong with my camera on Zoom, you know, <laughs> or my audio's not working. But, but seriously, thinking about that and how that may have perpetuated some people's already existing, right, introversion, social anxiety, um, and disconnection. And what does it mean for those folks, right, now to get back into the way things used to be, if you will. Right. And now, Julie, you are an expert in cyber psychology. Um, I'm sure, you know, some of these things, uh, computers have helped, right? And you know, Zoom, obviously, and other technology has helped. But I'm sure there's negative aspects to all this technology all the time during this pandemic, how it's negatively affected all generations. Yeah, I, I mean, the relationship between human beings and technology is complicated. And there have been incredible developments, you know, thank goodness for, for Zoom and WebEx and these platforms. Thank goodness we're able to teach. We're able to put students into breakout rooms. We're able to connect across geographic lines, across time zones. I've seen some of my favorite performers musically um, and otherwise live. <laughs> on Zoom, and you're able to interact with them and engage with them. You know, Winton Marsalis, you're able to have a conversation on, on a social media platform. How incredible is that? Um, so that's all wonderful. On the flip side, um, this is something uh, my Gen Z daughter said to me, um, whose head is in the phone much of the time, just like my head is in the phone much of the time, um, that technology makes community, communication easier, but connection more difficult. You know? So we're not really interpersonally connected. For folks who are struggling with loneliness, um, seeing in the selfie generation, pictures of people smiling on Facebook, for example, um, who look like they're having a grand old time, especially pre-pandemic, uh, and a lot of those images are not real images um, or they're doctored in some way. And comparing oneself, especially if one is feeling miserable or lonely to these images just perpetuates more um, disconnection, loneliness, the, um, the emphasis on 
likes, the emphasis on retweets and sharing one's material online makes us constantly uh, in this sort of hamster wheel of checking our phones or checking our computer. And if we're not getting the responses that we desire, that also perpetuates disconnection and loneliness. So it's, it's a complicated relationship, I think, uh, human beings and technology, that's just getting even more complicated. Well, that's for sure. Now, mm -hmm. what about the broader macro effect on our society and economy? I think you've mentioned some of these things, but you know, you hear all the time about depression and burnout and sanity, right? Um, talk to us about that. Well, I think that, um, as I mentioned, the connection, um, uh, social connection uh, has a lot to do with well-being, and that has its impact on our economy and our workforce. So if, um, if you look at the workplace, the people who are the happiest and the most productive at work are also those people who have um, a higher number of good friends, meaningful relationships at work. And do work that feels meaningful overall. So with the change to having to work virtually, to having to be disconnected, you know, that has an impact on those things. And when we talk about a trauma, tr tr uh, global traumatic, you know, loss situation, um, even before this, there's been studies done by the Gallup poll where they look at just trauma in general and the impact on the, uh, the economy. Billions of dollars are lost um, with when you correlate trauma to things like absenteeism, you know, coming late to work, um, taking sick days, um, productivity at work, um, billions. And so here we've had to adapt, you know, quite quickly to kind of managing and, and we have done well, I think, overall as a society, we've had to. And yet, right, the immediate impact of that in terms of, um, you know, economic um, loss and the people we've had to lay off because there's just not, right, the, the kind of work to be done given um, the kinds of things that you, we can't do anymore the way we used to be able to do them. Um, and then this longer term, as I mentioned, kind of, you know, healthcare cost to companies and to us as a society in terms of healthcare costs and in terms of, um, you know, just how we, you know, are as a, as a workforce and a nation. And, you know, here's the thing. I mean, I think it's a, a good question for us to have as a, a potential positive impact coming out of the pandemic is, do we want to do things the same way? I mean, he, you know, here at work, I can say we're doing everything telehealth right now, and we may keep some of that, whereas we wouldn't have done that before. So, you know, there may be things that actually are, are positive that, that come out of this in terms of creating a, a teleworkforce where there is more flexibility and people don't have to, you know, be rushing from one place to another to get their kids out of daycare, you know, or spend as much on things like that. And they can manage a little bit better overall. So there's kind of plus and plus and minuses, I think, to, to the economic um, impact. Thank you, Amy. Julie, do you want to add anything to that? Just in thinking about work, um, in addition to Gen Z being the loneliest generation, um, there are other populations that have been really affected, um, most particularly uh, single moms, um, especially women who are not educated and are in service jobs. 
restaurant business, housekeeping, etc. And then you have the rise of uh, e-commerce in addition to that, which is really threatening their economic livelihoods. They don't have the money to afford um, childcare. And so they're home with the kids who are doing remote education or this converged learning. And that is a challenge. And uh, I think a lot of people are gonna have to retool, develop new skills. It may not look like a college education, a a full four year education. It may mean um, going back to school, taking some classes online and retooling. I can't imagine doing this interview with you right now um, without any support and you know, a five-year-old running around, uh, running in to ask me uh, what we're having for a snack. You know, this is, you know, and that would, that's an easy scenario, right? Um, so I think for many uh, portions of our society and many folks, this is gonna be a particularly hard time. Yeah. Pandemic. Uh, I, I unfortunately think you're right. I mean, obviously, a K-shaped recovery is what a lot of people are talking about, and I know our hearts go out to those single parents who are struggling. Uh, all parents who are struggling, you know, with uh, particularly young kids who, you know, can't stay seated, <laughs> or none know, of us could really stay seated, or among <laughs> a number of things, right? Or, or, or even you know, the poorer communities with lack of bandwidth, one cell phone, you know, uh, instead of a computer. Um, but let's talk about programs or um, resources that people can take advantage of. I know when we speak about technology, I know we mentioned earlier that maybe one of the silver linings is the acceptance of getting therapy or getting help or using an app. Um, so can, can each of you speak to that? Um, well, in terms of there, there are so many sp- things to speak of, and I think we really need broad societal responses. But in thinking about technology, um, as Amy mentioned, there's and we were talking a bit, the three of us, before we all came on, um, there's been an increase in teletherapy. Um, conducting therapy, conducting counseling online, using digital tools. Uh, And that has been wonderful in terms of increasing access to help and to care that many, many people um, are in need of. Uh, There's also some interesting developments in the area of artificial intelligence and in the areas of virtual reality. So we have these social robots who are essentially companions for people. Um, sometimes they kind of look like human beings, sometimes they look like stuffed animals. Um, And those have been very helpful, especially for elderly populations who are lonely. Um, There are chatbots, a number of chatbots, where one just downloads an application um, and the application is able to assess and track one's mood and pop out a prescription a behavioral prescriptions. Maybe like you should go out for a walk type of thing. Uh, there are virtual support groups where people get together online and support each other. And there's also just incredible developments in VR um, and immersive technologies, which help to um, not only treat, but to prevent a variety of disorders. Um, like PTSD, 
for example, with vets, and it's been very effective in these VR situations and settings and virtual human agents and uh, in the form of therapists are making a very strong impact. So I think that's all good. I also think there are limitations um, to those technologies as well. Great, thank you. Amy? Yeah, I think uh, telehealth is, is here to stay. And, um, you know, as Julie said, there are a lot of ways that um, we see students and, you know, my friends and, um, you know, many generations can kind of access um, support via an application on their phone, um, talking to someone. We, um, we know that there has been a, a decrease in requests for services from, from college students nationally. And we think that has to do with um, students accessing, because there is telehealth and they don't have to right, get the service necessarily from us anymore, they're not necessarily here physically on campus, but that they can you know, access telehealth anywhere now. So um, I think many places um, will be able to, to see, you know, people requesting that service and utilizing it. I think that, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of this generation, um, it's m perhaps for some more difficult to reach out and ask for help. And so, you know, a, a virtual platform can be helpful in that way. And yet we have a lot of students coming in from, you know, the orientation who say, um, I was in therapy in high school. This is what I'm looking for. You know, there's less stigma attached to that. And so they are better consumers of um, mental health care also. And so their ability to, um, you know, demand what they want um, and secure that is, is better. We have, you know, suicide rates are up even prior to um, the, the pandemic. And so being able to access um, a person via uh, a phone call, via a chat, via um, a text line becomes hugely important um, right now. And there are specific crisis lines. There's the National Suicide Hotline. There is a crisis line specific for, for students who are um, African-American or identify as Black, for those who are LGBTQ, the, the Trevor Project. So there are resources like that for situations where, um, you know, uh, somebody needs to reach out and maybe has a little bit more difficult time doing so or, or is in a crisis. Um, and one thing I would say is that we, we know that actually contributing, um, being able to do something for somebody else actually has far-reaching positive consequences. And so um, using digital platforms to reach out to someone else to see how they're doing, peer support groups, you know, building communities digitally or, you know, in person um, has an impact on the person who's suffering just as it, as it, much as it might on, on the person who's receiving that. Um, so I think many counties have a, a volunteerism you know, department. We have one here um, at Rowan University. So I would encourage um, students, faculty and staff to look at ways of providing community support, volunteering, reaching out to those people, just to, even in your inner circle, because the benefit of that to your own mental health is huge. And again, it, it, it forges that social connection that we know, you know mitigates the, the loneliness that we're seeing. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So before we get to questions, 
and I'm sure there'll be a bunch. Uh, I want you to share with us just one thing that everyone should take away from this conversation about uh, how to address or combat loneliness or mental health issues. Julie? So I, I would say uh, focus on relationships, real relationships, connecting, um, not through Zoom or WebEx necessarily. Sorry to keep naming those particular platforms, but they're biggies now. Um, but focus on really deepening relationships, building and expanding your relationships. It's more important now than ever, uh, particularly in this technologically oriented society where we are communicating, um, but are not necessarily deeply connected. Thank you. Amy? I would reinforce what I just said about kind of giving. And one way, one simple way to do that is to is to practice um, loving kindness or compassion. Actually, just thinking for a minute about a situation where you may have felt kind of warm feelings about someone or towards someone, just calling that to mind, you know, during during the day for a minute, kind of savoring what that brings up for you has a, a huge impact on your mood, your openness going forward um, for the rest of your day and, and your ability to connect. And I think, as Julie mentioned, for those people who might be more introverted or who actually may be more socially anxious, taking that step and trying to reach out to people is really difficult. So that um, kind of practicing that compassionate, loving kindness um, is a skill that has a lot of positive impact on us physically and mentally. Great, thank you, great advice. So here's the first question we have. It's, it's about, um, are there any, you mentioned some things, but they, they ask, are there daily measures we can take to help offset, you know, these mental health issues or traumatic influences um, that have affected us, particularly this past year? Yeah, um, I would say name the experience. I think we need to decrease the stigma around loneliness and a host of other challenges that all human beings experience to different degrees. You know, if you have millions of people around the world experiencing feelings of disconnection, um, loneliness, maybe we should reconsider um, the importance of normalizing that and decreasing the stigma. Um, and I see that there are public service campaigns uh, that are doing just that. Recently in the New York City subway, I saw a digital ad and I wrote it down um, and I was so taken by it. And then thinking of our interview and in preparation for our interview and our conversation, um, studies show friendships at work boost happiness and productivity. It's even more important now as isolation worsens. And so that's such an important message for people to hear. It normalizes the experience that so much of us are having. So that's one, one tip, I would say. Okay. Amy, did you want to add anything to that? Sure. I think when I think about well-being, um, I think about, you know, a, a couple different components. Julie mentioned a, an emotional component, just, you know, identifying, naming, labeling helps tame, tame our brain. Um, separately, we have um, a physical. So physically, we can... Um, 
actually do things to help us build well-being. Getting outside and taking a walk. Exercise is probably one of the best things to do for our physical well-being. Um, so I would prescribe that. I would say fresh air, sunshine, getting your vitamin D3. Um, don't um, think that's, uh, you know, a small thing because we know it impacts us and our mood and our hormones and um, it helps us feel happier day in and day out. And then really think about what your, you know, what your purpose is. Like, are you doing something purposeful every day that gives you a sense of meaning and that helps you feel productive and that helps you feel happy? So those three P's, I think, you know, doing something pleasant, productive and purposeful um, gives us an intention for the day that helps us feel, you know, better. Great, great. Now, someone asked about uh, organizations. Now, I think you mentioned some organizations, but are there any organizations you want to let us know about in general that uh, people can look to for uh, help? I think your local, every county um, has a local mental health association, and that's going to probably be the best place to look for mental health resources for parenting workshops, for help with virtual kind of learning and how to manage that. Um, they have great, um, you know, substance use and addiction recovery services. So I would encourage people to Google, you know, Burlington County Mental Health Association or, you know, Essex County um, Mental Health Association. And they typically have a ton of things on their calendar, um, free workshops, free options for people to kind of access um, not only kind of therapeutic services, but, you know, as I mentioned, kind of parenting and, and other resources. So if I could direct you to one place, I would say that would be the place to go. In addition to, you know, some of the crisis lines that I mentioned, you know, you have the National Suicide Prevention Hotline and um, the Trevor Project is one for our LGBTQ folks. And then we have, um, you know, uh, addictions hotlines. And so, and, and I can provide you the numbers of those if we want to put those up or send those out. Okay, great. And uh, the, there's some well-known apps as well that could be helpful too, right? Is Talkspace one of those or are there others that I may not be familiar with? There's, there's one app, it's called Wobot, W-O-E-B-O-T, um, which uh, is relatively popular among college students. And I was referring to that earlier when I was speaking about an app that tracks and assesses your mood um, and then spits out a prescription, a cognitive prescription about related to the way one may be thinking that's not very healthy or helpful um, and or a behavioral prescription. And then that app assesses your mood via questionnaires online post-prescription. So that's one particular app. Great, thank you. Here's another. How do folks balance the need for professional boundaries versus connection with coworkers? That balancing act is, is a challenge that I think all of us face. And, and do you have any guidance for that? Yeah, I think that's a, a good question and a challenging question. What I see more of in the past couple of years is um, more disconnection. So there are not even boundaries to blur anymore because so many of us are busy with our technical devices and we're not reaching out. We're not going out to lunch 
with colleagues. Um, we're not making those connections like we used to. And again, for certain populations like working parents who um, are in a particular position um, or work setting where they have to come in and get very focused on their work because they have to pick up their child at a certain time. So I'd like to see, you know, more reaching out among colleagues um, versus less. Okay. I don't know if Amy has something to say about that. I didn't necessarily directly answer uh, that question. It's a challenging one. Well, and I wasn't quite clear if the, if the boundaries was about, you know, um, how do you set boundaries with coworkers or, right, how do you manage kind of the, the time as you were talking about, Julie, because, I, yeah, I think, um, you know, trying to think about all the things you're having to do in the course of your day and how do you build in time for connection with others so that you're, you know, you're getting your other stuff done, but also, um, you know, being able to intentionally set aside some time with, with people at work. You know, I think, I think one thing about boundaries is, I mean, know what yours are, you know, if you don't know what your own boundaries are, it's going to be hard to convey them to somebody else. So if you, if, you know, you kind of take some time to really think about like, what's important to you, you know, in the course of your day, you know, if family is first, if connection or friendship is, you know, important to you, then how do you nurture that? How do you make time for that? Um, in, in the course of a day or a week. It doesn't have to be every day that you're setting aside time for those things, but I would say, you know, with some intention, if you kind of live your, the value of that, um, rather than just kind of doing what is put in front of you, which I think we're all prone to be doing right now, because, I mean, frankly, our society is, is a society that now there are even more difficult boundaries to hold sometimes because work is happening at home, in your bedroom, per perhaps, right? Um, because you don't have the space to have your office elsewhere. So when do you stop? When does work stop? You know, when do you stop emailing? When do you stop checking your phone? You know, your phone is also maybe your computer. It's also right your your way to make a, a phone call itself, um, however old school that may be. So I think one, you have to kind of be clear about what what is priority for you and then really try to hold yourself accountable to that, maybe have other people help you hold accountability to that so that you feel like at the end of the day, there really are breaks from, from work and family, friendships, you know, other things that you care about are protected. So, so you can, you know, not burn out, as we were talking about, you can sustain, you know, this ultra marathon of, of races that we are all kind of in at the moment. And, and thank you for that, Amy and Julie. There's, there's a follow-up comment about that, just to, to clarify this, because I think people are challenged by this as far as friendship at work, right? What does that mean? Are, those, are friendships at work different by nature than friendships outside of work? You know, And I think that's a, a struggle that we've been dealing with pre-pandemic, but now maybe it's exacerbated or worse or better during the pandemic. So I just, maybe a, if you can touch on that a little more, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah, and I think you're right. If this was a struggle pre-pandemic and it's gonna continue to be for a lot of people, maybe what makes this time very different for the majority of us is that so many of us are feeling very vulnerable psychologically, psychically, uh, in so many ways because of what 
we've been through and some of us have been through more trying times, quite frankly, um, than others. And so noticing that about ourselves and our relationships at work, um, what are they um, satisfying in terms of our needs? And are we maybe making ourselves in some situations, quite frankly, more vulnerable than we should be? And does that mean, what does that mean? You know, should we seek some assistance, some support outside of work for that so we don't get into um, a situation that we may regret later? So having a self, some self-awareness about your experience. And one way to do that is, again, through naming your experience and understanding that your experience is normal and not one to be ashamed about. Right. And what about, um, obviously, we've had a horrific week. Uh, on the other hand, this happens maybe every week. We just don't hear about it in the news so much. You know, violence, right, that may stem from mental health and bullying. I know bullying uh, online, you probably, you, this is one of your areas, Julie. So what, is there anything uh, people can do to sort of protect uh, or um, counter um, or, or resolve or deal with uh, this reality of our time? We, we must be more intentional about our phone use. There, there's no question about that. All of us, um, we have an intimate relationship with our phone. Um, our phone, especially for younger generations who grew up with a cell phone, has become so much a part of their identity um, with sort of parents punishing kids by taking away their phone and noticing the reaction among their kids, which is absolute devastation. Absolute devastation. Um, and parents not necessarily understanding that because the phone is their connection to the world at large. So we need to take breaks from it, you know, similar to what Amy was saying about, you know, taking breaks, making pauses, making breaks between our personal lives and our business lives. We need to put the phone down when we're having dinner. Uh, we need to put it away. Just the presence of a phone creates perception of social distance between people. People feel like they're not being heard. They're not being listened to because the other party has a phone in their hand or is about to look at their phone when they stop talking. So we need to have greater mindfulness around our technology use. Hmm. That's for sure. Amy, do you want to add anything there? Well, I would, I would echo that. And I would say that, the, you know, Julie, I think mentioned this earlier, but the overexposure to um, images, to, you know, sounds, to information. I was watching the news the other night and there was a reporter repeatedly asking one of the police officers at the scene of the crime in Boulder, Colorado, you know, about, you know, don't you know, like, like we, you owe us this information. And um, I think we're in such an age of, of immediacy uh, in terms of, you know, kind of getting gratified um, from from this information kind of being we're inundated with and and right there is an addictive quality to that right a devastation when we can't get it that is 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 scary in in some ways and it it feeds 
fear and anxiety and all the things that we're, we're really trying to work against. And in fact, I would say, you know, there's a study done that they had people go out into the woods and stare at these like beautiful blue eucalyptus trees for about 20 minutes and, you know, just kind of sitting in this awe inspiring nature. And what they found is that people are more likely to help other people. They had, you know, a person come by and drop something on the ground and you're more likely to get help and connection, you know, when we are, um, kind of able to sit in experiences where we feel this kind of, you know, inspiration and, you know, something bigger than ourselves. And so, yeah, not to say that, right, we can't get good information and stay connected with people digitally, but the need for connection with nature and with other people um, and things that are actually going to uplift us, you know, rather than you know, actually vicariously traumatize us. It doesn't take a direct experience for us to be traumatized ourselves. It takes a sound, you know, we can, we can replay a sound in our head that is, you know, horrific, um, longer than sometimes we, you know, are affected by an experience that might happen to us directly. So we really need to be careful about that. We always end with a poem or a saying or a quote. So I'm going to ask each of you for that. So Amy, shall we start with you? Sure, this is a this is actually a quote by Mother Teresa, and it is if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Mm. Lovely. Julie? That's a good one. I wish I had <laughs> um, no, it's it's a, it's a phrase that's um, often used that my father, who was very unique, Joe Ansis, in terms of his personality and his perspectives and talents. He always said to me to be true to myself, be true to yourself. And um, I think that speaks to a lot of our, the issues that we address today in terms of naming our experiences, experiences, um, having integrity, being honest with ourselves as well as other people um, and giving ourselves permission to be our true self um, in all of its forms. Wonderful. Both of those are great. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.